Welcome to the Team Building Podcast, where you'll learn how to build a dominant real estate team in your market. Featuring masterminds with team leaders and mega agents, plus in-depth interviews with operations managers and marketing directors of some of the top teams in the country. You'll learn the latest methods to generate and convert leads, streamline your operations, recruit and train better agents, and raise your profit. And now, here's the latest Team Building Podcast. Hey, what's up, you guys? Jeff Cohn here with another episode of the Team Building Podcast, where we interview top team leaders, broker owners, and thought leaders from across the country. Today, we have a very special guest in Mr. Aaron Alessi. Aaron hails from the Las Vegas, Nevada area and is an active elite real estate systems client doing amazing things, running a team ridge. Um, he's scaled massively and he's going to tell us his story today. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Excited to be here and uh, on this amazing podcast for you. So let's uh, let's get it started. Let's get it going, man. And it was kind of funny before we started today, we were chatting a little bit about previous podcasts we've been on together. And we think we may have done one for the team building podcast. So I'm sure there won't be too much redundancy. We're going get, to get into some nitty gritty today, but let's just kick it off here and talking about where you came from. Yeah, originally I'm from uh, Buffalo, New York. I moved to uh, Las Vegas uh, about 23 years ago. Um, I had some family move out here and uh, I generally followed them from getting out of the winter and six feet of snow over to Las Vegas where it was extremely hot, but uh, a great place to move. And uh, yeah, I've had a great experience out here for the last 20 years and I've been in real estate for a majority of them. Awesome. And when people think Vegas, of course, everyone goes to the Strip. But when you think Vegas, you're staying as far as away from the Strip as possible, I'm guessing. Yeah, I probably make it down to the Strip about two to three times a year when people okay. travel to come see. But it, it's just like any other, you know, community. There's, you know, Summerlin and Henderson. And you know what? It's it's not just this big party town. There. It's a great community with, uh, you know, a lot of people and, and local stuff going on. Awesome. All right. So then what was your next step? Um, so I became a, a solo agent in 2004. Um, I had about $150,000 of net commission income. Um, I went really hard and really fast with just uh, prospecting open houses and uh, working with one of my mentors uh, that owned a real estate, real estate company at that time. Um, so I broke in, did very well my first year, but funny enough, I, I did not want to be a buyer's agent. I found that out extremely fast. You didn't like looking at houses and getting decorating ideas? Yeah, in 110 degree weather. <laughs> so it, even though I, I was pretty successful my first year, considering what your average age... You netted 150K your first year in yeah. 2004? Correct. Yeah, yeah, that's impressive, dude. And in 2004, I, I didn't get into low six. Correct me if I'm wrong. We still hadn't hit a really horrible market. We were probably in a neutral market. We were. And the migration coming to Vegas at that time was pretty healthy. Yeah. So that helps. So you have this awesome mentor and you've spoken to me about that this person in the past um, and how they really just gave that their whole soul to you and kind of showed you the ropes, got you into the business and helped you hit the ground running. Um, was that an independent brokerage or a franchise that they were at? It was an indie brokerage and they were really big on notice of defaults and house flipping and foreclosure even before mm -hmm. it was a thing. So they were doing it here in Las Vegas and in Arizona. Oh, wow. So what, what happened then the next couple of years? How did you go from we're not liking buyers to, yeah. you know, obviously getting away from that and maybe focusing more on listings? Yeah. So I grabbed my uh, mentor at the time, which I feel is I was really lucky 
to find this person from another friend. And I went up to him. I go, hey, listen, I don't want to be a buyer's agent any longer. Um, I know there's this opening in your foreclosure department. I'd love to go behind the scenes and learn more about real estate, more about foreclosure, more about house flipping, investing. You know, how do you run this brokerage? I want to know about that stuff. Because in the back of my head, I always told myself, I do want to be a brokerage owner in the future, right? And way back when, didn't know what I know today. So I asked him this and I go, hey, can I do it? He goes, no. I go, why not? He goes, because it pays $28,000 a year. Hmm. So I go and I made 150 and I, I stepped back for a minute and then I was thinking to myself, hey, you know, that's a lot of money to give up. But I went back to him three more times and I said, I'm not taking no for an answer. I'll take a haircut on that income because I feel like the education is going to be more profitable long term and something that I can sink my teeth into. So I, I jumped into that side of the um, you know real estate. So working with notice of defaults, foreclosures, and then eventually into the short sale department, and then working on listing homes with those guys. So a lot of that was going on from 2004 all the way through you know 2007 when the crash started. And so you guys I got were poised, right? Oh, we were set up for success. So as soon as that housing crash um, happened, um, we stepped in and started calling every single bank we knew. And I think at one time we had about 20 banks. We had over 900 listings. We had a BPO department pushing out about 30,000 BPOs per month. Holy cow. We were just, we were just sitting there grinding. And then I turned over into a closing manager and we were closing approximately 120 transactions per month um, with all of those banks. So you could, uh, it was just a, it was a great profitable, awesome system with a lot of knowledge and fun for me. Those guys were collecting all the profits because I was just there as a salaried employee at the 28 grand a year. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm like, I need a raise, guys. Taking that haircut. Still taking the haircut. If you look at both of us right now on camera, we're beautiful bald men with the big hair and the beard. Your beard's doing much better than my beard right now. I feel like a caveman. I have to get to the (laughs) before I come out to your summit here soon. Are you doing the carnivore diet with that beard? (laughs) here and there (laughs) yeah there you go awesome okay so now transition us from that role and learning and gaining and all this stuff to when do you decide to jump so the business partners who owned that indie at the time had a falling out and they took all the reo accounts with them they took all the bpo everybody left and i was sitting there by myself with my mentor and my broker and we go what are we going to do guys no, well, let's go open our own brokerage and we're literally going to start from scratch. So in 2011, um, I opened my own brokerage, Resolution Realty, brought my broker over and three real estate agents. And at that time, we had no idea what's going on, where the market was going and, and where we were going to get our next paycheck. I, we were like literally broke at that time. But we said, hey, man, we, we know what's up. We, we built a dominant brokerage before. Let's go back in and do this. So... I can't, I remember this to this day, we're standing in front of a conference room and I go, I go, Rob, what is going to happen to this market? And he goes, this entire Las Vegas Valley is going to short sell all of their homes in the next three years. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, look at it like this. 
They stopped all the foreclosures, but all these people are still upside down. What are they going to do to get out of their homes? Because they passed a, a Senate bill to stop the foreclosing. So I go, okay, man, I, I, I guess. So what we did is we jumped in our car and we went to attorney office, to attorney office, to attorney office, the link up with attorneys because they were starting to roll out with their short sale departments. So I was in the short sale field a little bit prior to that. We linked up with one of the whales of uh, short sales here in Vegas. And at that time, I owned the brokerage. And then we closed approximately 3,000 short sales over the course of like three and a half years. Holy cow. Dude, that's crazy. That's when I lost all my hair. <laughs> I can imagine. So how much did you guys typically make on a short sale? We had to do a referral fee back to the to the uh, to the attorney's office for consulting, so we we're getting a fifty fifty split on those. Okay, which was fine. I mean, we're you know signing up a hundred listings a week. It felt felt like, and I ran this entire like closing short sale management management department aside of his negotiators because he had to negotiate with the bank to get the short sale approval. Long story short, I said, I need a CRM. I have leads coming in. We have listings going up. You know, I am a powerful listing leader here in our market now. So that's when I started kind of recruiting small teams and, and, and agents saying, hey, I got leads. I got a closing department. We got offers in and we have multiple offers. Come work at my brokerage. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be able to put you in all these transactions and give you all these leads. Love it. So we went from three agents to probably... 50 agents within that time frame, but I had no idea who I was recruiting, how I was recruiting them, any of that stuff. I just knew I need somebody to come in and help me with what's going on. So working through management, working through the recruiting process and trying to build this, why I was full-time working on that short sale account. Sure, it, sure. it was pretty crazy at that time. So short, short sales start drying up when? Probably 13, 14, 15, then it starts going to neutral, then it starts... 17, 18, 19, people are like, wow, we're in a seller's market. And then 19, 20, 21, we are a seller's market. And I think it's softening a little, but I still don't see it a lot. What are you guys seeing now? Well, right now, yeah, we're seeing the, uh, we, we're averaging about 200 new units per week hitting the market. We went from about half a month supply to 1.2 month supply so right now. Seller's market still. It's still a seller's market, but you, you got to explain it to clients and other agents is we were going 100 miles per hour. Now we're going 75 miles per yeah, hour. Yeah. Yeah. I just read an article yesterday, a friend shared with me about the feds, and I guess they're trying to get interest rates up to a point to control the market from being so crazy, right? So they're trying to continually creep the interest rate up until the housing market is more neutral. And so, you know, a lot of people talk about buyer market, seller market, neutral market. I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast, so I'll say it quickly. But someone had once explained to me and what I believe each of those markets are delineated by is how much time it takes to sell off your month's worth of inventory. So you had mentioned about how many are coming on the market a day in Vegas right now? A week, uh, 200 well, a week. Well, no, that's 200 in addition to what we're having. So we're averaging okay. about 1,500 homes a week right now. Okay. And that sounds right. We're a thousand a month. So 250 a week in Omaha and about a thousand a month uh, sell. So what's interesting about a seller's market versus buyer, when I compare five years to today, on average in the Omaha Metro, there's about a thousand sides. And independent of what market we're in, it's the same amount of sides. The sides haven't changed. And I always have found that really curious. If it's the same amount of units, then what's what's the rub? Well, with rates so low, and I think people stuck in their house during COVID, 
I think they're like, well, if we're going to be at home and working from home, I need an extra bedroom for an office. And I'd love to have an indoor basketball court and I'd love to have a pool and a trampoline and all these house things. And you have all the money in the world. You got nothing else going on. There's no way to spend your money and interest rates are the lowest they've ever been. So you put all that together. You're obviously going to have way more demand. So where do you see things going here? You know, we're in 2022 as we record this episode. Nobody knows, but everybody talks about the next big housing crash. Do you think there will be another crash? Absolutely not. And I like to give expert advice, not perfect advice. (laughs) So think about it like this. Um, The Fed's going to hike up rates a little bit more. They'll come down. They'll go back up a little bit more, right? And within the matter of two months of raising those hikes or raising those interest rates, we've seen a completely different shift in the market. Okay. So that's working. It's successful. They're curving inflation. Good. Going into 2023 and finishing off 2022, I honestly just see everything stabilizing and cooling off, but we're still going to be in a seller's market. We're not moving into a buyer's market. In Vegas, right now we have, let's say, 3,000 homes. That's a seller's market, a deep one. In order for us to reach the part where we're in a buyer's market, we have to be anywhere from six to 8,000 homes. Yep. So with the cooling off, are you telling me that amount of inventory is going to come to our market, make it shift and feel like a crash? No, yeah. it's no. not going to come from anywhere. Not in Vegas. In Vegas is a little bit different. We're a little bit more recession proof. And the iBuyers own about 50% of all the homes in Las Vegas. So those aren't turning over. Our buyer demand's still there. Our migration is still there. Um, So I just see a little cooling off, a little less multiple offers. Bring the inventory in, man. It's refreshing. We need it. Um, Values will come down a little bit. And we went from 150 to 637 price reductions week over week like that. So everything's kind of, you know, figuring itself out now. But what I don't like is like all the articles coming out and like the housing bubbles over and the air is being let out. Is there going to be a crash? Like, listen, ladies and gentlemen, that's not the case. And I don't see that for the country either. In the 07 foreclosure crisis was an anomaly. It's not happening again. Well, it was also an anomaly because they were loaning 110% LTV. Today, they won't do that. They've, they've foolproofed the process mm-hmm. so that it won't happen again. And I 100% agree with you. I've actually believed, I believe the opposite will happen than a bubble burst. I think that we'll continue to see massive inflation across the country. I, I, um, I predicted this two years ago on a podcast episode when I was asked this very question. I actually see the home prices going up possibly a 10x over the next 10 years. And people, obviously that's insane. Usually homes do double in value every seven to 10. But I think we have a massive inflation problem on our hands. And I think that we're going to see home prices continue to rise. So it's crazy. Clint Bartlett and myself, my investment partner and I started buying in, I think 15 or 16. And everyone told us, oh, be careful. It's a seller's market. Then 17 was more of a seller's market. Then 18, then 19. And homes have just almost doubled in value since we started buying in Omaha let alone if somebody were buying in Vegas or Arizona or somewhere like that. So no one can know, um, be smart, don't over leverage. But I think if you're following the burr and you're, you know, an 80, 20 debt to income, you're, you're going to be fine most places across the country. Especially with the rental portfolios you guys got and what we're looking at out here, rents increased. And I think they're just oh, yeah. going to be, and they're going to stay there. People need houses and not a lot of people are going to be able to buy at the higher values and the higher interest rates. Yep. It all comes down to supply and demand. And, you know, another thing that has kept us in a seller's market is supply chain issues. 
I mean, you literally can't get roofing product. You literally can't get wood at certain times. You can, if you can't get product to build a house, then people aren't going to be building homes. And those people are going to be waiting on the fence to build a home. And demand is just going to keep going up and up and up. So it's going to be pretty exciting, in my opinion, to watch what happens here over the next couple of years. And they're also, and we won't do it today, there's a whole conversation about Airbnb. Because I think there's going to be a point where somebody's going to say, well, hey, I could leave the house I live in right now and make three times what my mortgage payment costs me. And I'll just move in with my my brother-in-law or I'll move my parents' basement or I'll travel for a year to Dubai or whatever the case might be because I can make so much more just renting my house out. So it'll be pretty fascinating to see what happens here over the next couple of years. It, it should keep building into an animal because a lot of people are looking at that investment strategy right now. Even myself, I've been combing like... Utah, Tulum, and all these other places saying, hey, where can my Airbnb be? And how many people want to get in it with me? And how many do we want to buy? And I think it's a great strategy. So a lot of people will be leaning towards that. Clint Bartlett was just telling me yesterday that um, evidently Airbnb recently changed their algorithm and they're not showing homes that are outside of like certain metropolitan areas. They don't want people doing an Airbnb out in the suburbs, which Mm -hmm. I thought was really interesting because we have a few, we own I think we're up to about 155 doors and we have three or four that we use as Airbnb that are just in some random suburb. They're not in touristy areas, but Omaha is small enough that you fly into downtown Omaha, you could stay at my Airbnb that's in the middle of nowhere and it's only 20 minutes away. And if you're from Vegas, you're like, oh, 20 minutes, like that's no big deal. And so people will just stay in a little suburban area. Well, now a lot of people are complaining that are listing Airbnb houses saying no one's seeing their home, no one's list posting or renting their home because Airbnb's algorithm changed. Have you heard anything about that? I haven't. I'm not uh, definitely not educated on exactly what's going on now, but I would assume based on what I've heard around here that homeowners don't like the Airbnb traffic. HOAs kind of step in and try to regulate it with what's going on with the city. And I think there's just like this tug of war, like they know stuff is coming and they're trying to regulate it as quick as they can. And Airbnb is probably under the biggest restrictions. Mm -hmm. Interesting. It's a really good point. Well, let's talk about what you guys did last year, year end, as far as numbers, number of agents. We haven't really gotten into that. Do you have multiple offices? And then what's on the horizon for 2023? So last year looks a lot like this year. Um, We have one independent office here in Green Valley, 10,000 square feet that we moved into about a year ago. It's a tech hybrid office. I learned it from this guy, Jeff Cohn, crazy dude. Um, But we moved in here about a year ago. Um, I came in with roughly 110 agents last year. We're at 155 agents right now. We've kind of taken a step back on recruiting to dial in a few things here at the office because when you recruit that many people, you find holes in your game. Um, So we put a hiring freeze on while we're cleaning up some of the leadership and tech and training. Um, But um, we're still averaging about three to five agents per month right now. And we'll probably trail like that going into 2023. With those 150 agents, I have independent agents, dependent and intradependent. So some are 100%, some of them are on a cap model, some of them are on a sliding scale from back in the day. All that being said, we're closing on pace. We're on pace for about 600 transactions this year. Um, I think that's our biggest hole. With 150 agents, we should be closer to 900 or 1,000 units. And production is basically the biggest thing that I'm focusing on for the rest of this year and next year with lead sources and ROI and working with the ancillaries on increasing our spends and trying to basically get 1,000 leads per month over to my 
uh, teams under the Certified Advisor Program that I learned from that guy, Jeff Cohn, again. And um, we're really trying to double down on production. I think the recruiting part is the easiest for me at this point from doing it for the last three years and like figuring out what's uh, what it takes to get an agent. It's more not more now is when an agent comes in, what are we going to do? What's our value and how can we double our, um, you know, our 50, 50 leads with a lot of these people on the team? Mm-hmm. Dude, it's a lot, a lot of stuff going on. And um, I think you've always done a really great job as I've watched and I've heard feedback from your agents that you're running a brokerage, but the people that want to be led, the people that want to be motivated, that want people that want to be held accountable, you're doing all the right things. And I think it's important. You're the first person I've ever interviewed who said that they're running an interdependent, dependent and independent model. Your agents get to choose. And I love it because that's how true leaders serve their followers. Let them pick the path they want to follow, but have a path for them to follow that includes coaching and accountability and systems and processes that you can plug them into to help them make more money and less time with less energy and become the best version of themselves so they can lead and live the lives of their dreams. Has anybody ever heard me say that before? (laughs) No, I think that's the second time I heard you say that. (laughs) Exactly. Well, Aaron, this has been great. We're going to wrap. Uh, For anyone listening, would you do us a huge favor and go out to whatever the app is that you're using to listen to the podcast and give us a five-star review and a little shout out to Aaron for taking his time with us today. Aaron, how does someone get in touch with you if they want to give you a quick shout out? Uh, Shout out for me. You can contact me via email, Aaron at resolutionrealtylv.com. And if you want to talk about things, my cell phone number is 702-809-8582. Ooh, that was very generous. And we'll put that in the show notes. Aaron, by the way, is E-H-R-E-N. And if you want more information about Elite Real Estate Systems Group Coaching, Modern Coaching for the Modern Agent, go out to growwithers.com. We offer Thursday high-level team leader coaching every Thursday in a group setting. We offer Monday, Wednesday agent training, Tuesday investor training, and we just launched our recent um, ancillary trainings on Thursday afternoons, which offers mortgage title and insurance agent training. We're the only coaching organization in the country that offers all these types of training. And next year, we are whispering that we're going to be offering admin training, which will include success manager, contract to close, and um, COO operations uh, training. So pretty exciting stuff happening. Lots of support. Our entire intention is to help everyone become a better version of themselves. And as we do so, we continue to become a better version of ourselves at our brokerage in Omaha. So Aaron, thank you again for coming on. Super appreciate you. Um, And again, to anyone still listening, please go out and give us a quick five-star review. It helps the algorithm so other people can find this podcast and be able to make the changes to their business, which will change their lives as well. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Take care. You too, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah.